welcome back to another episode of Daring Faith. My name is Simina. And I'm Jen. We're so glad that you guys decided to join us today. Um, We're going to be diving into mentors and mentorship in this episode with a special guest, Dan Drujora. Hi, Dan. Hi. Happy to be here. We're excited to have you. For those of you joining us, um, Daring Faith is a podcast designed to empower the everyday Jesus-loving guys and gals to be bold, to be different, to be set apart, living defined by Christ for a purpose and for such a time as this. Um, Before we get started, Dan, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Dan Drujora. I basically live in three separate worlds, I would say. It's interesting because I consider that to be never a dull moment. Um, I have a pastoral role here at Emmanuel Church. I'm one of the um, ministers in the church. I lead the Young Family Ministry. I'm also a professor at a university, and I lead global innovation efforts there. And I'm also a filmmaker. So I basically navigate between these three separate worlds, academia, media and entertainment, and ministry. So um, let's get into this episode. First and foremost, I think we need to talk a little bit about the definition of what a mentor is. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about what a mentor's role is, Um, maybe types of things you would share with a mentor and things that you'd open up about to them? Um, Some people have told me that they have different mentors in their lives for different things, for different areas. So um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, to me, a mentor is someone who sees more talent and ability within you than you see in yourself and helps you, uh, helps you to achieve it, helps to bring it out of you. You know, we all need a brain to pick. We all need a, an ear to listen and a push in the right direction, and that's mentoring. Um, interestingly enough, you know, mentoring is never really mentioned in the Bible. It's not actually, it doesn't appear in the Bible at all. Um, the word discipleship appears in the Bible. And sometimes people use these words interchangeably, discipleship and mentoring. When we talk about it in the church, we almost exclusively talk about discipleship in a very spiritual context, whereas mentoring and mentorship can also be used in a, in a secular setting. Essentially, though, the role of the mentor is very much like the role um, that discipleship plays in someone's life. Mentorship and discipleship, I believe, are uh, two signs of the same coin. Um, you know, you can read a lot about a topic. You can watch YouTube videos. You can Google uh, about a particular topic that you're interested in. Anything that you want to learn. Right now, information is at your fingertips, right? Um, and many people believe that mentorship or discipleship, but um, mentorship in, in particular is basically just filling your mind with data and information, which is, I think, uh, the wrong way to view mentorship. Because um, the mind is not a vessel to be filled. Uh, it's, it's a fire waiting to be kindled. So what I think really makes the difference between, you know, getting information and training, let's say, or, or developing skills in a particular area of life, 
uh, mentorship ignites that fire that that is required to achieve results. That's what I think the difference is. So it's it's not just as simple as some people think. You know, they can just uh, they don't need mentors in their life. They can just read a book or watch a movie or you know take a course and they've learned something and they can go apply it. And so um, mentors are there to light the fire that it, that cannot be lit by any information or any day of the gathering exercise. Um, so a common question we've heard quite a lot when um, discussing this topic with other people is whether or not everyone needs a mentor. And um, there's some people that have a harder time opening up to others and putting their trust in a person. And maybe that's holding them back from being vulnerable and transparent. Do you believe that everyone should find a mentor? And is there any example in the Bible you can give to us about that? Or maybe a personal experience or testimony where a mentor is really impacted your life? Yeah. The short answer is yes, everyone needs a mentor. But I think there's also a fatal misunderstanding about mentorship um, where you have people that say, I wish I could find a person to tell me what to do. Sometimes um, we come to the crossroads in life and we think that if we just, if somebody would just come out of the fog and tell us which way to go, or um, give us the magic formula or the magic pill for something, then we would, we would know what to do. And sometimes we think that mentorship is a lot like a genie in a bottle, you know, where, where we need them for a specific time, a specific thing, and they're not there. So, you know, people seek mentors in that kind of situation a lot. Um, I think that's just wishful thinking, you know. The way I see it is uh, a mentor is a good coach. Coaching, I think, is probably the the most accurate um, uh, a simile, if you will, to, to mentorship. The most accurate uh, uh, picture of, of mentorship is a good mentor is a good coach. Um, so another thing you can you can think about is think about it this way. So if you believe in that you need a mentor and, and the person that is being a mentor to you has had mentors in their life, it's they're passing down also accumulated knowledge that they've received from their mentor and, and the mentors before th- them and the mentors before them and the mentors before them. So it's, a t- it's, a, it's like a, a type of knowledge that you can't find in books. It's lived experiences people have had. It's... Um, truth that was tested and validated, right? Um, and a true mentor will have gone through the stages of life that, that you're in, right? And, and they've been down that road. Now, they, of course, bring their own experiences to the table, and that's the lens through which they see the world, their own understanding of it, their own, their own uh, uh, experience. And what they're trying, what they should be doing in your life is, is being a guide to you, you know? Um, so think about, you know, the knowledge that's passed down from their mentors and then you, uh, becoming a mentor yourself, passing down knowledge. Uh, what it's, what's happening is mentorship is a force multiplier. So in a sense, you, you are taking, 
people's lived experiences, the knowledge, the skills, the, um, the passion they have, and you're multiplying it. But it's not just the, the multiplicity of like two people or three people. We live the, it's, it's all of the host of mentors that have come before and the mentors that are going to come forward, right? So it's really um, an ecosystem, I, I guess, of mentorship that you're, that you're part of. Um, and another thing that, that, that mentorships, that mentor, uh, another thing that mentors do as coaches is that they push us, they keep us accountable. The default uh, human condition is comfort. Nobody wants to, to get out of bed if they don't have to. Um, you know, people want to be comfortable. They want to, they don't, nobody really wants to be challenged, at least not all the time. Um, the default condition is is to be comfortable. To nobody wants to to undergo pain or discomfort. Nobody willingly wants to be hurt or to fail. Right? Nobody says I want to go and fail. Um, but that's what the mentorship process involves. You know, and mentors push us to be uncomfortable. They push us to um, discover things about us that we didn't know we we had. Uh, discover our God-given potential, really, and to push us beyond ourselves. Now, you've asked me about what does the Bible say about mentorship, right? Yeah. And I said that that the Bible doesn't even mentor uh, the the Bible doesn't even mention the word. Um, but in fact, mentorship is part of God's design. Um, we see Abraham being a mentor to Isaac. Jacob being a mentor to Joseph, Moses being a mentor to Joshua, Elijah being a mentor to Elisha, and of course we have the ultimate mentor, Jesus, the divine mentor. Um, Peter in 1 Peter 5 uh, exhorts the elders and says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, like not forcing, but willingly, as God would have you not for sh not for shameful gain. This is a a, a, a beautiful model of, of mentorship. Not for shameful gain, meaning that a mentor isn't going to gain anything for themselves out of this. It's always giving. It's always pouring into other people. But eagerly, not domineering, not domineering, not dominating, not being a dictator uh, over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. So right there we have like a beautiful formula for mentorship and what a mentor is not and what they are. And, and that's uh, being an example to the flock, for example. That's the best kind of mentorship. You can, you can talk a great deal. You can have sophisticated thinking and language and you can talk circles around people. Uh, at the end of the day, um, a mentor leads by example. So whatever you say, if you're in a mentor-mentee relationship, the mentee will always look to the mentor for what they do and how they act, the actions they take, not what they're saying, not what their philosophy is, not what their theory is, not what their theology is, but rather what their practice is. It's always what 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 mentees are looking at to to the mentor, um, you know. And that's Paul knew that in First Corinthians eleven one, he says, "Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ." So basically, what is mentorship is actually it's also a, to a, to an extent an act of imitation, you know, imitating, just like a child imitates a f his father or her mother, um, 
and they learn a lot through imitation, really. Uh, mentors and mentees uh, in that relationship, you have a lot of imitation going on. Uh, Titus 2, 3, 5, uh, he's now talking to women and exhorting women. It says, older women, be reverent in behavior, right? Not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Um, and, they, and the Bible says they are to teach what is good and train young women to love their husbands and children and so on and, and how, to, how to live uh, a godly life as a, as a woman. So women are to mentor younger women, right? In Titus 2, 3, 5, and, and particularly there in, in, in Titus, um, it's also talking about character, right? It's not just, it isn't just, you know, just because you're an older woman, you have the right to mentor someone. Um, you, you, you have to be an example you have to be worthy of that example. Hebrews 13, 7, uh, re remember leaders, Paul says. Those, remember your leaders, um, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Again. Um, so, and then Philippians 4, 9, finally. What have you learned and received and heard and seen in me? Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So basically, there are things that have to be practiced. It isn't just concepts that mentors give us, but rather it's, again, this process, this, it's this process of, here's an example, here's my life as an example. I'm putting my life to you for, for you as an example. Imitate that because I am an imitator of Christ. And that's the, the mentorship uh, model there. Um, I do have a personal story, but I, but I, can, I can tell you when, when, when we talk about how to find a mentor. Okay. Yeah, that, that leads us to our next question. Um, so what are some qualities do you, uh, that you think people should look for in mentors? How do you go about finding one? I heard an interesting thought earlier today about a younger person potentially <laughs> mentoring an older person. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so... I think that, that the most important thing for someone looking for a mentor, let's address that first and then I'll, we'll talk about the uh, young person. Um, I think you really have to develop mentoring eyes. What does that mean? Recognize the divine appointments uh, and growth opportunities that God is bringing in your path. To me, that's been the most uh, eye-opening truth, I think, about my life is the ability to recognize God moments, the ability to recognize when God was bringing people, opportunities, and, and open doors in my life, and to see that that's the Lord, and that's God doing it, and it's not me by my own hand, or it's not circumstantial. I think, I think a lot of people live life, um, in a sense, counting things as mere, as mere coincidence. Like a funny thing happened to me today, you know, or I met this person or I, and then they just kind of dismiss it as like, that was just a coincidence or they don't know what to make of it. And I think we miss a lot of these opportunities, God moments, because we don't have an eye that's developed towards finding mentors. I think largely our society is, is um, we live in the dictatorship of the self. It's you are self-reliant, um, self-cognition, you know, like be aware of yourself, know thyself. And certainly those things are important. You have to know who you are. 
be strong in who you are, love who you are, don't don't hate yourself for the things that God gave you yeah. or the way you look or the way or the or the talents that God gave you and wish that you had other talents and 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 uh, you know when I when I when I talk to to young people I I say this a lot to them like you have all the data necessary to do the work that God has created you to do. He gave you the he 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 gave you the right family. He gave you the right um, cultural background. He gave you the right skin color. He gave you the right uh, IQ. He gave you the right, you know, hair color, if you will. You're the, you're the right height. You have the right smile. You have exactly the personality that that certain personality traits that God has put in you to do the work that He's created you to do. All of that is is works together, and certainly it's important to know yourself. Uh, before other people can come and tell you this is who you are. And sometimes that's what we mistake mentors to be, people that come and say, well, you should be this or you should be that. And we think, oh, that's a mentor because they're speaking to something that I, I maybe had an idea or a vague idea about or desire about. Um, and to me, mentors are not people that fashion you into their own image, but rather help you to find who you really are um, on your own, you know. So it's it isn't somebody that is trying to to mold you into an image that they see of you, but rather help you to discover on your own who you were meant to be to begin with, who why God created you and why God gave you certain talents, right? Um, so I think that's that's an important um, characteristic and how and and you know developing this this uh, this eye for mentorship. Um, I always, when, so I'll tell you how I looked for my mentors in life. I, I always looked for, you know, for people that, that, that were ahead of me in first in age, also in their journey. Typically, like I would consider a mentor, someone that was either like 10 or 20 years ahead of, of, of me in life and that they have achieved already something that I would want to achieve, for example. Um, I'll tell you how I found my first mentor by accident. So I, I, this was um, 2009. I had just come from a three-year trip to Romania with my wife where we went to go start a business there. And we had a startup that we wanted to do in, in biotech, and it was for um, um, used in, in, in organic farming that, that we wanted to, to start in Romania. And it was a very difficult journey because we were both young. My wife was, uh, we had our first child, Annabelle, and we were in Romania at the time and trying to figure things out. Um, while I was there, I started doing a documentary film about uh, persecuted Christians in Romania. And I was able to go inside the prisons and I was able to, in to interview some uh, people who, who were persecuted for their faith and went to prison for their faith. And I did this for the first time in my life. I had never made a movie in my life. I didn't know what to do. I, 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 I read books about it. Uh, I did not have anyone mentor me. I just kind of started on this journey. And because um, I took the money that we were making with the business to go and invest in, in this film, uh, but, but truly it was just like a, a, a process of self-discovery. When we came back to, to, to the States, I had... I had this entire film that I had shot in Romania. I didn't know what to do with it. Uh, of course, I, need, I, I knew that I had to put it together and edit it. However, 
I just didn't know if this was what God wanted me to do. So um, I picked up a book. Um, it's called uh, An Empire of Their Own, How the Jews Created Hollywood. And it's the history of, of the film industry. And it's about these um, young, hung, mostly Hungarian, but predominantly Eastern European Jews that escaped Jewish persecution in Europe. They came to the United States and they went on this journey to um, discover themselves really out here in the West. They were, some of them were fur traders. They were trading furs with Native Americans and going back East and turning those furs into fur coats and selling them to high society. And that's uh, how that, those were the that, those were the beginnings of the studios. So one particular uh, character that that I really that really resonated with me was a guy by the name of Adolf Zukor, who was from Hungary, and he created he was the one who created Paramount Pictures. And one thing I uh, one one thing that I really liked about Zukor is that he was a very strong family man, and he had very strong family values. So of course, if you think of Hollywood now. You know, if, if you watch a movie like in the 1920s or the 30s, you can see how the value systems have changed, right? What a movies, what movies, what passes for family entertainment now versus what was adult entertainment back then. The movies in the 30s and 40s where they weren't even, it was even impolite to, to curse or, or, you know. So they had very different value systems, right? But I was very, I was very interested in, in the value systems of the people that basically created the film industry, completely different than the value systems of the people that run the industry now. Um, and what I was really interested in is to find out if there was a sur any surviving, like, grandchild of Adolf Zukor. And I looked at his family tree, and I found a name, Stuart Stern, and I looked it up in the phone book, because I realized that Stuart Stern was living in Washington. At the, at the time, I was living in Seattle, Washington. And I realized that Stuart Stern was living in Washington, so I took the phone book, I looked it up, a bunch of Stuart Sterns, but one particular one that, um, that I looked up, and it was, in fact, the grandson of Adolf Zukor. So I pick up, I look in the phone book, I pick up the phone, I call Stuart Stern. And I said, hello, Mr. Stern. Uh, he picks up, hello, hello, Mr. Stern. Uh, I'm, my name is so-and-so, and I just read a book about your uh, grandfather, and are you the Stuart Stern that is the grandson of Adolf Zucker? And he says, yes, in fact, I am. And, and I said, um, I'd like to come and ask you some questions about your family history and your grandfather. And he says, well, that's very exciting. Of course, yeah, you can come and ask me. and." A very nice, gentle uh, old man on the phone, right? So I go to Stuart Stern's house. It's a beautiful German Tudor-style house on the lake. I knock on the door. I op he opens the door. There he is on a cane, 82 years old. Very nice guy. And his whole house, I remember, was filled with these wooden collectible German dolls that, 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 he, was, that he had all over. And he brought me in the kitchen, and he made me mushroom soup. And he asked me about myself. He was, from the very beginning, Stuart was very interested in me, even though I came there being very interested in him. And he said, uh, where are you from? Tell me about yourself. And I told him about my family and how we came from Romania and all of that. And he said, you know, my family also came from Europe, just like yours. And we were from Eastern Europe. And he fought in the Battle of the Bulge. And... Um, he was telling me the story about how he took 
uh, from a, how how he took from a fallen uh, German colonel a photo of Hitler, and he said, "I." And Stuart turns Jewish, right? So he said, "I took this photo of Hitler that I found it off a dead colonel. I framed it and I put it in the kitchen, and it was, and it was uh, on the wall right above your head." And I was looking, I was looking to see if I still see the. Does this guy still have a photo of Hitler? I mean, a, a, a Jewish old man from that fought in the Battle of the Bulge. Does he still keep a photo of Hitler in the kitchen? I looked around and he wasn't there. And he said, "Don't worry, it's not there, because I sold the photo to a young man who came to visit me from Austria, whose name was Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he came to my house. He had he sat right there in the chair that you sat, and." Uh, I fed him just like I'm feeding you, and he saw the picture of Hitler, and he wanted it. And he said, <laughs> and Stuart's like, at the time, I was really in need of money, so uh, I sold it to him for, I don't know, $20,000 or something wow. like that. So Stuart, after telling me the story and feeding me the mushroom soup, he invited me to look at his family portraits. He told me the, the real history of the Zucker family, and in fact, it was very very interesting to see how this Jewish family had basically, uh, you know, assimilated to the United States, but also then invented the United States and an image of their own mm -hmm. by creating this, this film studio. Um, and then he told me, tell me the reason why you're really here. And I was like, um, <laughs> well, I said, well, I'm also working on this film and he's like, show it to me. And I said, I don't have it. Well, come tomorrow and show it to me. So t the next day, I bring this f footage from this documentary film that I've been working on. Um, it hasn't been edited. I feel really terrible about it, but I, but I play it for Stuart anyways. And it's an interview with uh, a Hungarian pastor that spent 18 years in prison. And he looks at this interview with this Hungarian pastor and he starts crying. Stuart starts crying. He doesn't understand what the man is saying, but he's feeling something that he that is coming across in the interview on screen, and he stops and he pauses the 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 film and he looks at me, he turns to me, and he says, "I know why you're here. You're a storyteller." And nobody had told me that ever before in my life. I was searching for someone to say that to me. But he saw it in the work that I was doing, and then he saw it in the room. And, and I said, well, I don't think I'm a storyteller. I said to him, I think I want to be one. He says, no, 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 you have it in you. You have it in you. I can see it. And little did I know that I was not just talking to the, the grandson of Adolf Zukor, the founder of Paramount Pictures. I was also talking to one of the greatest American screenwriters that ever lived. Stuart Stern wrote Rebel Without a Cause with James Dean. He wrote um, The Ugly American. He wrote some really big American classic films. But he stopped writing films in the 1970s and then moved to Washington to, to write novels. And he said to me, do you want to, to learn how to be a storyteller? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, okay, here's what you do. Every Friday we meet at this cafe and we have timed writing exercises. I said, I, I don't know. I don't think I'm a storyteller. I don't, even, I, I, I don't even know. I, don't, I get scared when I see a blank page. Like the blank page staring back at me, it's, one, it's like one of the biggest fears of my life. And he said, well, we're going to get over that fear. You come every Friday 
and you meet with me and we meet with a bunch of other writers and we all sit down at this cafe and we write and we have time writing exercises and we just say we're going to write for 25 minutes and the timer goes on and boom 25 minutes then it goes off whoever wants to read what they wrote they can but nobody judges anybody nobody critiques anybody we just write and we read each other's work and and i said what is it going to cost me and he said just a cup of chocolate because they have the best hot chocolate there (laughs) So all you need, all I want you to do is buy me a cup of chocolate. And that's how my relationship with Stuart Stern began, with these cups of chocolate and trips to his house and meeting with the ca- at the cafe with the, with the time writing exercises. But it was the beginning of my journey into accepting the fact that that would be part of my identity. That would be part of who I am, a storyteller. That would be part of... And it was meeting Stuart Stern and spending those last years of his life because then he died. At one point, I remember having the last walk. I'll never forget this. We were walking along uh, Washington, the Lake Washington in, in Seattle. And he turns to me and he says, Daniel, we, we had just had our last hot chocolate. And he said, Daniel, I've taught you everything I know. There's nothing more that I can teach you. You have to go now and, and, you know, make your own mistakes and do your own things and pass on maybe to other people what you've learned. Um, but what he said, don't ever forget this one big lesson. It's, about, it's all about the personal connection. And that's actually something true about mentorship. Sometimes you spend maybe a year or two or three or four with someone, maybe only five months or you only meet them like three or four times. But there's one big lesson that, that they teach you. And Stuart taught me many lessons, but this was the big one that he didn't, didn't want me to forget. He said, it's all about the personal connection. Every story that you tell has to go through you first. If you haven't lived it, in a sense, it hasn't gone through you, that, you, that it, you're not connected to it personally. You can never tell a story that you're disconnected from. You can't just pull stories out of a hat. That's not necessarily storytelling you know it's you have to have lived in an experience in that story that connects you to it there's a truth there right there's a truth there that that is that you're trying to communicate and that's that was my uh my encounter with with Stuart my mentor uh, and after that, I went to, to I, I came here to California to film school, and really got deep into you know uh, filmmaking and writing and and all of that. And it was the, but but the beginning and my real film school I would always say was my first film school was with Stuart Stern at the cafe drinking hot chocolate and learning about story and learning how to not be afraid of that blank white page. That's another cool thing about mentors that I want to say is they help you overcome your fears. So, and it's some, and, and they do that oftentimes by confronting your fears, you know? So it's somebody that can say, I know what you're afraid of, but come with me. I'm also afraid. I'm not like, I've overcome this, but it doesn't mean that I'm not, I'm not like in a sense less afraid. I just, I, I, I just know how to overcome it. So take my hand, we'll walk to it together and we'll overcome it. And that's also part of mentorship. It isn't like I know they know all the answers or they're the experts or, you know, but they've just overcome it. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about that one question about someone younger? I know you said you look for mentors that are like 10, 20 years older, but what do you think about that? 
You know, I think that that mentorship, honestly, it's a it's a two way street. You know, it's it is um, it isn't a one way communication. It isn't just the mentor teaching you and you teaching nothing to the mentor. In in my mentorship relationships now, the young people that I mentor, they I learn a lot from them too. And they push me all the time. Um, so I do believe that that young people can give advice. They can certainly um, push mentors to be better. I, what I don't believe is that is that you can switch the roles. I think that when you're in a mentoring relationship, um, you have a mentor, and one is one is the mentor, the other is the mentee. The moment that those roles are reversed, it gets confusing. Like now you're. It's like it's. Um, the analogy that I can have is like when sometimes we have weird times when parenting gets reversed. Um, like my daughter would tell me, you know, you should be nicer or why did you say what you said, you know? <laughs> so now she's the one calling me out on my stuff, right? So, and that's completely okay. Like I don't mind her her pointing things out. What isn't going to happen is that she becomes the parent and I become the child, right? Yeah. It, so I, I, <laughs> I, Annabelle, if you're listening to this, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that mentors should stay mentors and mentees should stay mentees. But it doesn't mean that mentees actually. It's both of them are always learning together. Yeah. So that's you know you have to be open. You have to be open to learning and yeah. Um, it can be a, a two-way street and should be a two-way street. It's a good perspective. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a quite there's um, there's quite a bit of difference in opinion when it comes to some non-negotiables within a mentor and a mentee relationship. Like um, some people believe that having a mentor of the opposite gender isn't necessarily a good thing. Um, Others have said that mentors need to be significantly older, as you mentioned, than the mentee with more experience. While some have mentors that are a couple years older. Um, and in your opinion, how would you say someone should go about establishing these uh, boundaries and standards within a relationship? Yeah, very good questions. Um, Sort of what we're talking about here is the rules of engagement of mentorship, right? Um, I think one important principle to know is that mentors are non-possessive. It's a very it's a very important characteristic to have. They don't hang on to the person they guide. I give you the story of Stuart Stern. Stuart wasn't like you got to hang out with me all the time, and I own you now, and I am like, you know, I own your time, and and and. <laughs> It, so it's they're, a, a healthy mentor-mentee relationship is non-possessive. Um, mentors play a role in your life and then let you go forward on your own strength and ability. That's what happens. And there is no payback. So if you... If you uh, I've, I've often felt the need, for example, to give back to people who've mentored me. And, they've, and, the, and, and the true mentors have always told me no. You don't owe me anything. Um, same thing to my students and, and the people I mentor. They always feel like, oh, if I, like one, one little small example, they, at the end of like every college semester, they want to pay for my lunch. They want to buy me a coffee or they want to pay for my lunch. I never allowed them to do that. I said, one day 
when you <laughs> when you have your own job or when you become really successful and you you start your company and now you're a millionaire and you're a big shot okay you can come and buy me lunch then <laughs> but you don't get to, you, i'm not going to let you pay for my lunch now you know and i'm not going to let you pay for my coffee Every, uh, it's a small thing but but and not because i want to show that i'm somehow better it's just that i'm here to bless you and you don't owe me anything yeah. and i'm here to just give right and that's important um, because that's to me is a non-negotiable, right? That's part of the non-negotiable. Possessiveness, no possessiveness. You, I don't own you, and then I don't owe you, and you don't owe me. It's it's not that. It's it's a it's a it's a relationship that's based on trust, really, and not based on like what can I get out of it, you know? Like what what where is it? Yeah, there are goals that we can set, there is a goal. You're, you're on a journey, so we, we have to hit our, a target. And if we don't, then we failed, and we have to understand why. Why did we not do that? Uh, but it's not like, you know, uh, you're doing it because I'm getting something out of it, and if I don't get what I want, then I'm no longer in a relationship with you, and we are no longer friends, and I don't we no longer speak. Um, and, and I think it's also important to know that as a mentor, I don't want to own your success. You know, a lot of, a lot of mentors and sometimes even, you know, you know, have you ever seen parents that live vicariously through their children? <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So they didn't achieve something in life, but they're, they're pouring everything into their child yeah. so that they can, so that their child can achieve that. And then they live through that child. And if they don't, if the child doesn't live up to those expectations, like the, the parent has failed like twice. Yeah, that's, mentors can be like that too sometimes. They, 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 they always want their, whoever they're mentoring, their mentees to, to achieve. Obviously, you want them to achieve greater things. And you want to see them launched. But uh, you don't, you don't want to own their success. It's as if, it's as if, um, you know, you take credit for, for the work that they did. Um, and then another non-negotiable and another boundary is, is mentors are not domineering. Like, um, I don't, I don't mind hearing people that say, I want to check with other people or, you know, you know, it's in, 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 in the council of wisdom, right? The, the, uh, where you, where you check with, with people you trust but if every decision in life that you make, you have to check with someone, that tells me two things. Either you are not mature enough to make your own decisions and you haven't reached um, <laughs> that level of spiritual uh, maturity, or someone is dominating you. Someone is telling you what to do. Someone is basically speaking to your into your brain and you can't get rid of that voice. Um, so mentors are not domineering, right? Uh, like I said before, you know, there's a delicate balance of mentoring someone, um, which is not creating them in your own image, but giving them the opportunity to create themselves. So, so real mentors help you and teach you how to think, not what to think. That's important. So, and then another thing that about kind of related to the possessing success is a, a, a mentor cannot want your success more than you wanted. Mm, you know, 
then you want it for yourself. Uh, if it comes to that, then relationship typically ends soon. So um, now you talk about boundaries too. I think it's important to, to, to mention that boundaries also lie within purpose and goals. So there are certain unspoken, unspoken rules about mentorship. Like if, if you came to me and said, Dan, I want to know, I want to learn to be a storyteller or I want to be a filmmaker and I want, I, and I want help with that. Right. So we've just, you've just given me the parameters of that relationship. You came to me be, for a specific purpose because you want to be a filmmaker. Right. And I'm going to teach you what I know about film. I'm going to impart to you what I know. If I start talking to you about stocks or I don't know, exercise or music, right? That is outside of the bounds of what you came to me for, right? So, you know, there are a lot of people that, that are mentors and they're good at, at, at one thing, but then they see, oh, there are other areas of, of this person's life that need to be addressed. So now they start to mentor them about every single area of their life. Well, you know, there should be some, some parameters established. Like, for example, um, I have a very good friend a father, a young father, just like myself, who's, who's going through some difficult times in his marriage. And I'm mentoring him about being a good father and a good husband and, and how to, you know. So my, my, my relationship with him is based on mentorship, on fatherhood and manhood and, and parenthood and those types of things. You know, I'm not going to start mentoring him on, you know, soccer or the stock market. So the, 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 the purpose and the goals, like what are, you know, what's the purpose of this relationship and what are the goals? And that can create the boundaries. It's important to, ha this, to, to set those. Like this is a relationship about this and it's not about other things. It's not about marriage or, you know, uh, other, other things. Um, yeah. Um, about the other gender question, right? Sorry. No, that wasn't addressed. no go on. Yeah. You go ahead. Go. Ahead. No, you wanted to talk more. Oh, Ask I more. wanted to sneak in a question. <laughs> yeah, um, please do. How do you not offend your parents? Because I have a lot of friends where they say, where their parents tell them, like, "Why are you going to other people? You know, mm. how come I'm not your mentor? How, you know, how do you kind of explain to your parents, like, yeah, we look up to our parents, but you know, there's just some things that, you know, we want to tell." Someone else. That's a good question. You know, someone that doesn't live with you. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think I think parents are always bound to be sensitive to that because they they don't want to lose you, right? They they don't want to lose your trust, and uh, they certainly don't want to be blocked out of your life. Um, so. Every time you get closer to someone else, um, the fear is that you are departing from them. Um, and there's a, there's a balance there, right? Because I think that parents do have a mentoring role in our lives. So, you know, my father is a mentor to me. But my relationship to him is very different than, like, let's say what my relationship to Stuart Stern was, right? Um, I It's still a father-son relationship, even though he's been my mentor he's always been my mentor and he will always be my mentor as long as as i live and as long as he lives so 
but there is the insecurity that parents have. You have to understand that being a parent, most people don't get this, being a parent, there's a lot of insecurity with being a parent. You're such an insecure person. Like, do my kids listen to me? Are they even, do they even love me? How can I show them my love through everything that I do? Um, so you have to understand that about parents. There's no, you know, no child comes with with, with a instruction manual and certainly no one's like fully ready for, for parenthood. Um, how do you not offend your parents? I think first and foremost by just reassuring them that, that you also consider them to have a mentoring role in your life, that, that you're not replacing them. Uh, and that I think it's also important for them to understand that, that the mentorship that you're receiving, if it's positive and it's good, is not in, in, in conflict with, with what you're learning at home or, how, or the way you've been raised. So, um, yeah, like you said, you know, I tell my parents that sometimes uh, there are things that I see. This is this is where it gets tricky because if you tell your parents, um, I there are certain things that I can't talk to you, or you are telling them that you are more open towards other people. What you're actually telling them is that, or the way they're hearing it could be, uh, you don't trust me enough to tell me these things. So that means that. Uh, something is happening between us. You're, you're, you are drifting away from me. And, and why is that? What am I doing wrong? And in in, in the parent's mind, it's always like, what am I doing wrong? You know, as a parent, I'm doing, and then they, and then sometimes parents overcorrect and they do things that they're like, they become more, let's say they become stricter and you don't understand why are they being like, they're becoming more overprotective. They're becoming, and then it's, it's in, it's in, it's in a reaction to you, in a sense, telling them that, or the way they understand it, that you don't trust them. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so, like, being open and transparent, being vulnerable, it's difficult with parents because immediately you feel their judgment upon you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, oftentimes, and this, I, I don't want to veer into in a discussion about parenthood, but basically, oftentimes, um, like particularly with younger people and, and young adults and, and adults. And what you want to have is just an adult conversation with your parents. And sometimes you have to, sometimes you have to initiate that. You have to say, let's just sit down and talk about this. Right. And I think that, that clarifies, uh, that can clarify a lot of, you know, a lot of misconception, a lot of mistrust. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And uh, can you touch a little bit on the different genders, like having yeah. a mentor? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I've had multiple mentors in my life that were the opposite gender. There were plenty of wonderful women that God brought into my life to to be a mentor to me for 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 a time, for a season. Um, I've had professors that were mentors, professional mentors. Um, I've had spiritual mentors that that God brought into my life to speak to me to to pray for me um, one thing that is really important to understand is this concept of spiritual authority and and God's divine order so while mentors um, are there to guide and to coach and to push and to make sure that you understand that you you 
um, you become that which you're meant to become. And, and maybe they see things in you, in yourself, that you don't see in yourself, right? One thing that it's important to understand where the distinction comes in in, 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 biblical, in a biblical mentoring relationship um, is that a woman cannot exercise spiritual authority over a man. That's biblically uh, very clear. So, and I realize that that statement is controversial because a lot of people think that uh, it's okay. But if you think about it in the way that God um, put the divine order from the very beginning, from, from creation, all the way from creation, through salvation, um, that's why you don't see, for example, women priests. It's why you don't see uh, women that are ruling a country in, in the, or the ruling the nation of Israel, um, women apostles and, and, and things like that. It's because the order that God put in, the natural order that God put in the, in, in the universe is the same that God put in the family and is the same that God put in the church. So God isn't like, God is not a God of confusion. The same order that exists in the natural order is the same order that exists in in the family and the same order that exists in the church. It's not different in the church. It's not different in the family. It's not different in the universe. And, and you know, if you read, you know, 1 Corinthians 11.3 and then Ephesians 5.23, where God talks about the, the man being the head of the household. And what I think happens is we don't have enough good male role models and good male mentors. So uh, sometimes women step in into that role and and it's not there's nothing wrong with women mentoring others but exercising spiritual authority over a man is where the bible draws the line right do you understand the the difference yes yes Yes. and i'm glad you touched on that because there there is a lot of confusion that a lot of mixed opinions that we've heard so sure no, it's a, it's, it's, I, I will acknowledge that it's a controversial topic, and maybe we can do a podcast another time about specifically Honestly, I was that. just thinking about that. Uh, but the concept of spiritual authority is, is, is very important because, for example, in, in the Bible, as an unmarried woman, the spiritual authority that is in your life is actually your father. So whether your father is smart, <laughs> spiritual or not, they are the they are God's spiritual authority in your life. The moment you come up, you come from under that spiritual authority and you go out on your own, you are actually stepping out from the will of God that is in the word. So you are coming out from under your your blessing. Mm-hmm. You know, so no matter what, even if even if your father is is not the ideal candidate, right? And sometimes you grow up without a father, and there are people that have grown up without fathers, right? But you still, and then at that moment, you, f- you find, you know, people in your life that have spiritual authority, whether it's a grandfather or an uncle or someone like that. That is, that is there for a very specific reason, and that's for protection, right? Well, people will say in these days that, oh, a woman doesn't need to be protected by a man, you know? And what is that all about, Right? Uh, I don't need protection. I don't need to be treated like a Disney princess. I don't need, you know, a knight in shining armor. I can take care of myself. Well, the culture that's trying to feed that to particularly to women is that you can just go out there and have 
no protection whatsoever. Or your only protection is you and the protection of your sisters. And in the church, the spiritual authority are the pastors, you know. And, and when you come into the church, the, the, the pastors that are in the church um, are vested with this spiritual authority. And they have the spiritual authority over the church. So, and they should exercise that authority in godliness and in, 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 in sanctity. However, when pastors step out of that or there's a gap and they're not present or they're not there, yes, then you have chaos. Then you have other people stepping in and exercising that spiritual authority on their behalf with severe consequences, I would say. So it's the concept of divine spiritual authority. Just like, I mean, when Paul talks about a woman being the head of the, uh, uh, um, when, when Paul talks about a man being the head of the woman, he also talks just like Christ is the head of the church, right? So it's Christologically speaking, right? And in the, in, in, in the Christian ecosystem, in the Christian world, in the, in the kingdom of God, that's the way it works. In the world, yeah, it works completely opposite or things are upside down. Yeah. Um, so I think until now we kind of talked about things from the perspective of having a mentor. Mm -hmm. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about actually being a mentor to others. I know that you've had quite a bit of experience with this. How do you know when you're ready to step into mentoring someone? Is there a specific age? Is there a set of guidelines that like, if you're thinking of stepping into mentorship, you should go through in your head and be like, okay, am I actually prepared to guide somebody? Yeah. They're all, t so I don't want to make the um, criteria for mentorship almost an impossible get. Like mm -hmm. it's so difficult to be a mentor that you need to go through, like you have to have a PhD and multiple, multiple, no. Um, you remember what I said that the definition of mentorship is? Is is um, a mentor is someone who sees more talent and ability in you than you see in yourself, mm -hmm. and helps you, helps to bring it out of you, right? Now, a person that's three years older than you, or four years older than you, or two years older than you may be able to to do that as well. Um, I would argue that's more of a friendship yeah. than a than a mentorship relationship I think we're we're met we're we're mentoring um, uh, breaks away from the, the like just a, a typical friendship or a, a companion in a, in a journey like a Sam Ganges to a Frodo in the Lord of the Rings you know like uh, a helper a guide you know uh, a soulmate or whatever you might want to call it um, the which the idea of a soulmate I even have a little bit of difficulty with as well, um, as if your soul can only you know your soul can only be joined to another soul in a particular like that that makes so much like it, it makes even marriage impossible <laughs> you know uh, but ba basically uh, the idea is is that you have friends in your life that are. Um, that help you through tough times, that help you achieve maybe uh, your goals. But they're not necessarily mentors. Uh, mentorship to me is someone, uh, um, or a mentor to me, is someone who has already been through what you're going through uh, and has advanced already. Like, for example, if you wanted to be a chef, 
Okay. Would you learn to be a chef from someone that's never been a chef? No. <laughs> I would go for, if I wanted to be a, a Michelin star chef, if that's, when, if that's what my goal is, I would go and seek out a restaurant that has a Michelin rating, and I want to work with a chef that has a Michelin star, or at least several, yeah. right? If I want to be a mother, I'm not going to go and learn from someone that's never been a mother. I'm going to go and, 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 and have a mentor, someone who's, who's a mother, who's been a mother, who understands motherhood, yeah. right? Yeah. You cannot be a mentor to someone you know, wanting to start a business if you've never tried to start a business in your life, if you don't even know what starting a business is like, you know. Um, it's, it, it's the same in, you know, the spiritual mentorship too. Um, you can't be a mentor to someone who's, I don't know, maybe struggling with an area of their life spiritually if you yourself haven't overcome that and, and have not and are struggling with that. So I take issue actually with young people who say, I, I have um, my age, the age requirement, for example, to, to mentor others, when in fact, they're st still struggling with the same issue that those people are struggling. So they have not overcome those struggles, mm -hmm. but they're somehow told or they feel that they're in a position to educate others, to mentor others, to coach others, while they themselves are dealing with the same issues. So um, I don't, that's what I'm saying. I'm not putting an age requirement. I'm not making the uh, uh, barrier to entry so big that nobody can become a mentor mm -hmm. but there are some things that, that i think i think honestly uh, people who are seeking mentors they should they should know these things they should they should realize you know um, um who qualifies as a mentor and who doesn't yeah, yeah. i think the mix-up comes with um this idea that if somebody gives you one tip of advice or something they're a mentor mm -hmm. um whereas like jen you and i are friends and i pour into her life she pours into my life but that doesn't mean that we want yeah <laughs> yeah it's just us you're growing companions. together yeah. learning together yeah you're on a journey together you're helping each other out on the same journey um and there may be mentoring moments in your life where one is stepping in to mentor the other but it's not a it's not a mentor-mentee relationship here's i think something that will help us to <laughs> to come out of this confusion if there is one uh the confusion is something that i think mentorship that we need to understand about mentorship uh two concepts that are interlinked and that's grace and not cheap grace costly grace that cost christ everything and the concept of submission or obedience. In the mentor-mentee relationship, these two interlinked principles are practiced all the time. Grace and submission. Grace and submission. The reason why you and Jen can't be mentor-mentee is because you are, you are not submitting to Jen and you're not obedient to Jen <laughs> or the other way around. So... A mentor has that authority in, in your life in a sense to to they have they have achieved a certain level of expertise and status in a way that commands 
submission and obedience. So like if you're the Michelin star example, I would say, a Michelin star. If you're going as a sous chef or as a junior chef at a Michelin restaurant working with a Michelin star chef, you're going to submit to that chef's kitchen, you know, and the way of doing things. Um, and you're not going to be buddy-buddy with him or her. You know, you're going to, you're, and, and so there's this concept, the, 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 the concept of, of grace, um, you know, costly grace, um, is the cross, right? Because costly grace compels us to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. And, and both mentor and mentee are submitting to Christ together, but and that's, the, that's grace. That's the grace that you have to follow Christ, right? Um, it's it's uh, where your self, it's the renunciation of the self and your self-desires. Um, and that's true mentorship. That's true discipleship. True discipleship is costly grace and submission and obedience to Christ. Um, that is is very difficult to achieve in in when when you have you know people that are of equal mind in a sense or or they're going kind of on the same road together uh, you need someone that has already went ahead a little bit and, and and can come and say you know i've been down this road here's how here's how it goes and to be able to offer you the grace to show you the way to to take you to the cross eventually, because that's the that's the concept. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Do you want to ask something? Uh, yeah. So wrapping things up, is there any advice or tips that you would give current mentors or those stepping into a position of mentoring others? Um, what are some things to keep in mind about being a good mentor? Yeah. Hmm. Very good question. I think there's something that I call the triple A's of mentorship, and that's accountability, availability, and attitude. So um, attitude, and this goes for mentors and mentees. Are you um, open to being vulnerable? You know, are you willing to share what you know? Because there are a lot of mentors that withhold information and and you're kind of robbing people of, of of learning. So a lot of mentors like withhold and and they don't want to be vulnerable. They want to always show like they're strong and they know everything. And for the moment where you say, I don't know what to do in this situation, let's go pray. Let's seek the Lord's advice. Or let's look at what's been let's look what other people did in this situation. Sometimes mentors feel like they can't be vulnerable. You know, they have to show strength and always be the boss and always be the know-it-all and always be the one that knows what they're doing. So are you open to being vulnerable? Are you willing to share what you know? Are you open to new ideas? You know, and, and, and then from a mentee's perspective, are you actually open to advice? Are you teachable? You know, I think that, that <laughs> a lot of people want, to, want, to, want mentors in their life, but they want them their way. They want, like, they want basically a mentor molded after their own image. So they, they basically want to tell the mentor what to do, what to say, and how to be, and they want them for very specific things. And, you know, um, they're not, they're not, those aren't teachable people. They, they say they are. They say they, they are open, but 
they're not open to new ideas. They don't want anybody to give them advice. They want to do it their way. Availability. Do you have the time to commit? Do you have the emotional energy? Um, true discipleship costs. True mentorship costs. It isn't, it's, yes, let's say it's not a transactional relationship in the sense that you're getting something, I'm getting something. It does cost. It costs Christ everything. The ultimate example of mentorship. That's what we go back to, you know, costly grace and obedience and submission to the will of God. But, you know, are you available? Do you have the time to commit? Are you, you know, do you realize that it's going to cost you time? Do you think you realize that it's going to cost you emotional energy, sometimes physical energy, sometimes, you know, money? <laughs> Can you be responsive? You know, the, 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 the one complaint that I have, this is the one chief complaint that I have from people that I've mentored about previous mentors they've had that, that, that weren't good. And that was responsiveness. Like, I would reach out and they wouldn't re ever come back to me. You know, they would never reply to my texts or they would never call me back or they would. And that's the first sign that that's not a, that relationship isn't going to work. If, if someone's not even responsive, yeah. then you, you know immediately that there will be problems. Right. And accountability. Um, accountability implies responsibility that we're that we're both responsible, you know, so. Uh, this is a partnership, right? It's it isn't just it isn't just me doing something for you. Uh, mostly in a in a in a very healthy and a good mentor mentee relationship, there are like tasks being given uh, with measurable impact, right? So I want you to do this, and then I want you to follow up with me in a week, and 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 let's see how it goes. I'll give you one quick example about this, and then we can wrap it up. Um, I, I'm teaching a class at USC about innovation, and there was one of the young women that uh, that is in the class wanted to to get a hold of of SpaceX, um, and and uh, she wanted to work with their satellite department, and so she wanted me to help her write an email, like an introductory email to SpaceX and, and uh, you know, basically wanted me to do all the work, you know? And um, so I said, no, 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 I think, I think you need to do all this. I think you need to write the email. I think here's what I want. I want, I want you to write the email. I, I had all the contacts. I've already, I knew the people there who she, who she needed to speak with, but I wanted her to follow these steps, you know? Write the email. Find the person. Research them. Find out who you're who you're talking to. Who you're writing. Uh, how how to craft an email, for example, with a specific ask towards a specific person, and know about who you're writing and why you're writing them. Um, those types of things. I'm giving you like a small example of a task. But good mentors give tasks and they help and they say, let me sh see me let me let me see the email. Send me the email in advance. I want to take a look. This is oh, here's where we need to change. Make it shorter. Do this. Do that, right? And then they do the work. Um, so, you know, mentors don't do the work for their mentees. Maybe they show them, they exemplify it, you know, but then they but then they allow them to do the work, and then they give them like real task and follow up. You know, accountability, right? Responsibility. It's a partnership. Um, yeah. Cool. Nice. 
Well, Dan, thank you so much for taking your time to collab with us for this episode and to share your thoughts. Um, I learned a lot (laughs) and it it cleared a lot of things up and I hope this was a resource for you guys as well and that it blessed you all. So be sure to tune in again next week as we dive into uh, discipleship and look at some distinguishing factors between mentorship and discipleship and what sets them apart. We're super excited about that and can't wait to share that episode with you guys. And as always, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Daring Faith and DM us anytime for guest and topic suggestions, any feedback, or if you guys just want to say hi to connect with us, you can find this episode along with others on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as well. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And until next week, have a great Tuesday, you guys, and God bless you guys. Bye. Bye.